Today's guest is Olympic gold medalist, professional volleyball player, and just announced Viz League mentor Haley Washington. Haley currently plays for an Italian volleyball team, Navara, after graduating from Penn State. She won silver at the 2019 FIVB World Cup, gold at the 2019 FIVB Volleyball National League, and was named the best middle blocker during the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. In this episode, Haley shares how she got into the sport and the sacrifices she made along the way. She dives into her collegiate experience and how she prepared herself to play professionally. Haley also shares with us what playing abroad is really like in Italy and describes her incredible experience at the Tokyo Olympics. I am so excited to share this conversation with the Viz community. Haley shares such great advice on how to improve your game, but also advice on just how to grow into a happier person, one whom embraces and loves oneself and stays authentic both on and off the court. Welcome to the Voice and Sport podcast, Haley. Thanks. I'm so stoked to be here. I'm really glad we could get this organized. It's a pleasure to chat with you. I mean, you are an Olympic gold medalist now, a professional volleyball player, and you had an incredible career at Penn State. So I'm so excited to share your journey from the very beginning, growing up in Denver, all the way to winning a gold medal. I mean, that's a lot of our girls in our community. It's a lot of their dream right there, wrapped up into this one episode that we're going to talk through. So I appreciate your time. And let's start with your background. You grew up in Denver, Colorado. So many professional athletes come from Colorado. What is going on there? What sports did you play when you were young? And why did you end up choosing volleyball? Yeah, it's something about the air in Colorado. I don't know, that elevated mountain air just really gives you the extra edge. I don't know what to tell you. I did actually grow up in a smaller town outside of Denver, Colorado. We usually just say Denver because it's easier, like that's the main city. But I grew up actually in a really small town called Idaho Springs, Colorado. Very cute little start of the gold rush mining town in uh, Colorado. And yeah, it was small town living. I had a graduating class of 51 kids. And I just remembered I always was really active in sports. I remember doing Little League and I did like coach pitch baseball. And then when I realized I had to change to softball in sixth grade, I was like, nope, time for a new sport. It's either baseball or something new. So then I started to pick up basketball and I started to play volleyball. I really wanted to do football. That's actually kind of my main origin story was I was pretty bent on (laughs) playing football and my dad pointed out that I was 6'3 when I was 12 years old already and 70 pounds and he said absolutely not so I ended up having to go to the volleyball tryout and a friend of mine was trying out and I figured why not and I pretty much everything just clicked like I remember things being explained to me how to do the footwork how to serve the ball over the net and it all just made a lot of sense and I fell in love with the game right away so I started playing volleyball I loved it and I did a little bit of like track and I loved to do all the extracurricular activities. So I did theater and I was in student government and I did choir and I played the trombone. It's going to be a jazz trombonist stuff. It was going to be really cool. Oh, I played the saxophone, so we would have made a good team. Oh my gosh. We should start a jazz group. (laughs) Well, that's pretty incredible. So you played all these sports, which I love. And I want to pause on that for a minute because you ended up in the Olympics playing volleyball a sport you didn't start with and a gold medal Mm -hmm. and I feel like a a lot of young girls and boys they get pressured to specialize really early I mean you played all these Mm -hmm. different sports and you ended up choosing volleyball but even in that volleyball choice I mean you had a journey there your parents had to drive you to practice like 90 minute drive I think each way so you must have really loved it when did you make that decision to just go down to one sport and do you think the fact that you played all these sports early on really helped you 
Yeah, I think, I'm not 100% certain, but I decided to specialize right around like sophomore, junior year of high school. My junior year of high school, I think I still did track. I was a high jumper, <laughs> embarrassingly so. There are photos out there of me high jumping. My form is terrible, so I am not a high jumper. Volleyball is my sport. But I didn't really specialize until my junior, senior year of high school because I was a very firm believer of cross training. Like I think cross training, especially for young athletes, is so important just because there's a lot of wear and tear in general when you train the same muscles over and over and over again. So if you're playing like I was doing, if you're playing school volleyball and then you go into club volleyball and then you do summer camp volleyball and then you repeat, that's year round of the same muscles getting worn and torn on. And then at a young age, we're also not lifting in the way that you lift at higher levels. So our bodies are more susceptible to it. But with cross training, with playing basketball, with doing track, running track, doing track, don't come for me, track athletes, I love you guys. I could train different muscle groups and reinforce different muscles, which was really helpful. So I didn't really specialize until late in my high school career. Even with my move to a more competitive club, I started playing club volleyball when I was like 12. And I played up on the little, just a little small team. And again, my small town of Idaho Springs, Colorado. But then at 15, I switched and ended up moving clubs. Yeah, to Colorado Springs, where we had to drive two hours every day for practice. And I just knew that volleyball was going to be my in. It was like the thing that I wanted to do. When I was in seventh grade, I decided it's what I wanted to go to college for. So I was willing to make sacrifices to get to the goals that I had set for myself. And my parents were great in commuting with me and letting me do homework in the car and going to like 9 p.m. practices. It was, it was good. That's pretty awesome. And super inspiring also, like such a strong message to share to other young girls out there. I also want to talk about just the lack of representation in the sport of volleyball. Mm -hmm. It's not dissimilar that of lacrosse and soccer in the U.S. where it's predominantly white. And so there's just not a lot of female role models that are black in your sport. So was that something that you noticed when you were younger or you realized that as you were going through college and into pro life and who were your role models that you looked up to? Yeah. So I grew up in like a very white community. Idaho Springs was a very white town. And I think the way that me and my family coped with race was just through humor. We made lots of jokes about being the only black kid or we made jokes about having the black card or we'd like tease my mom for not having rhythm because she was the white girl in the family and... I don't know. We coped with the racial discrepancies in the best way that we could, and humor was often the way that we coped with it. And I never really felt out of the ordinary in volleyball, but it's definitely something that we noticed. There's just not a very high demographic of black female volleyball players, even black male volleyball players. There's just really not a lot of opportunity for them. And I was actually very privileged because volleyball, as are most club sports, is a very expensive sport. And so being able to play a club sport in general is a privilege. And I would do fundraisers. I would sell gift cards. For a little while, I was selling party candle boxes to fundraise my club. I hate fundraising. I hated it so much, but I had to do it. It was how I would pay for club fees. And my parents also sacrificed so much in that way. But I definitely recognize the privilege that came from club sports because... I think as we see income inequality and a huge wealth gap in America, oftentimes it's athletes of color that get left behind and have to play sports just at the high school level and don't have the opportunity to play club. So it's a grind. You, I had to put in a lot of work to be able to play club, but I also recognized the privilege that I had to, one, have the opportunity, and two, to work and make that money and to get scholarships and stuff to play club. So it's definitely there. It's very real. 
Well, I mean, you talked about one of the barriers, right? The cost of club sports in America. It's really high. It's not like that everywhere. There are certain countries in Europe where actually it's much more democratic to be involved in sport all through your youth. And in the U.S., it's not like that. So that's one of the barriers for sure. It's also why we've created this program at Voice in Sports so girls can get access to incredible mentors. And sometimes you have to pay for some of those things, but a lot of what we do is free. And I think that we have to figure out how do we create pathways for young girls that get everybody involved. So as you think back to your experience, what else would you say out there to coaches, club owners in the U.S. around the game of volleyball, how do we make it more inclusive and and bring more girls in? Yeah, well, I think it first starts having more coaches and having more like staff and having more people that are involved in the administration level. Those also need to be people of color. It can't just be on the athlete side that we are trying to find pathways to allow black athletes to play. It has to be on both fronts. So that's something that I think we can do. We have so few black referees in America with women's volleyball, especially like they're just, there's just not a huge demographic in that way. And so we need to open the door on both sides. And then as far as getting more athletes involved, I think giving people the opportunity, having scholarships that help athletes out, people like me that have privilege and power and money donating to communities and giving money. So kids can not have to worry about paying such a high athletic fee for equipment, for nets, for balls. You just would give back in that kind of way. Helping contribute by giving away shoes. Like I'm very blessed. I have a really great Nike deal with like athletes, APS, and they give me shoes, which is great, but I don't need nine pairs of shoes a year. And so being able to give those shoes and donating shoes to athletes that need it, like all of those ways are just small obstacles that we can help take out that make the path a little bit easier for underprivileged athletes and underprivileged communities to have access to all the opportunities that come from club sports. I love it. I think it's so good. There's this really cool um, nonprofit that we just onboarded at Voice and Sport called Every Kid Sport. And essentially, they pay club dues for underprivileged kids across the United States. And so our partnership with them is we onboard all their athletes for free onto our platform. And when we get sponsors coming in wanting to pay for memberships, we match them to those kids. So that's one of the ways we're giving back. But I think we, we all have a pretty big role. And I think calling out representation at the leadership level is also really critical. So I think I want to kind of use that to transition to college for you. Who are the people and the coaches and the support? system that set you up for success heading into college because you had a very successful freshman year. You were named the Big Ten Freshman of the Year. And so what was your transition from high school to college like? And tell us about that support system that you had that helped you help you land such a great first year. Yeah, honestly, my transition was rocky. On paper, it looked good, but in practice, it was a little bumpy. I remember getting out to state and just I remember having the reality check in the back of my mind. Like, okay, you are coming into this program where you are not a big fish. You are a little fish. You need to earn your place. You need to earn your spot. You need to be able to work hard. But there is no such thing as Penn State work hard. Like, there's nothing in the world like the level that you would work hard at Penn State. And I just was not mentally prepared for that. And it hit me in the gut and it took me out. And so that was a really tough transition for me was figuring out how to work at that level and how to grow and how to continue to learn and adapt my game and to play in this way. I was really lucky in that I was like a little bit athletic my freshman year and could hit a slide pretty well. So I managed to kind of incorporate that into the Penn State playbook, which was really nice. And that was very fortunate. But 
Honestly, first of all, it was a lot of help from the older classmen. I remember we had another middle blocker, Nia Grant, who was great. She was a middle blocker when I was a freshman, and she didn't really reach out in a way like, oh, I'm going to bring you under my wing, but she just led through example. And like watching her be the person that she was, I was like, oh, okay, so this is a good way to do that. Okay, this is a good way to do that. And so basically just following the example that the seniors had set, freshmen slowly started to get a feel for things. If I may go off on a story, freshmen have these jobs that they're supposed to do where you like bring coaches bag on away trips or you have to bring papers every week. So every week you have to wake up at 6 a.m. You have to go get newspapers and you have to bring them to Russ. And it's a way for him to get to know the freshmen and to talk with us. And my class was the worst at this. We would forget papers all the time. And I remember we had to run suicides for it because we just kept forgetting. And I didn't end up running the suicides because I'd hurt my knee so I was biking. So then I felt even more like an idiot. But just those little ways of learning the tricks of the trade, getting into contact with Russ, and just watching your seniors lead by example. That was kind of how I did it, and I was really fortunate that we had such a great senior class. Well, what were some of the biggest challenges or maybe just surprises that you would pass on to the girls today that are about to go into college that if you look back now, you're like, oh, wish I would have known that. Yeah. Well, first of all, the game is changing. Like, it's becoming more advanced. Like, schools and Weight staff and training room staff are starting to emphasize like recovery, which I think is great. I think that wasn't really as big of a thing when I was an athlete. It was just coming to the forefront. And so utilize that. When you get recovery time, use your recovery time. I wish I would have known more about the importance of rolling out, the importance of really getting after it in the weight room. I was a terrible lifter. Cam Davidson, I don't think you're ever going to hear this podcast, but Cam, I owe you the biggest apology. I was a terrible weightlifter, you guys. And that is so important. And you have to be okay with not being good at it for a little while. And I just was not, I didn't like that I wasn't very strong. And so I was very embarrassed and I didn't work as hard as I could have in order to get stronger. And so if you're going into college, like use the weight room to your benefit, use the recovery time to your benefit. Sleep is going to be your friend. Not as much when you're like 25, like I need sleep. I'm 26. I need sleep. When you're in college, less so, but build those habits now. Yeah, I mean, sleep is one of like the key four pillars to having a great performance the next day and in the long run. So the more sleep depletion you have, you're going to actually, your performance is going to go down. So it is one of those hidden gems I feel like we don't know yet when we're in college. But had I known that, I may have put a little bit more effort into it. Yeah, for sure. And then you also like, you're 21, 22, you feel like you're invincible. You're like, I don't need sleep, but you do. Look at me, children, you need sleep. (laughs) Okay, well, tell me about the team dynamics. Like, how was that different from high school club sports to when you went to college? And is there anything like advice there you can give girls coming in? Because I think you mentioned it and a lot of girls feel this way, is you're not the big fish anymore, right? And so there is definitely this confidence thing going on and then your body changes and there's just a lot happening. So what is that advice with like the team? Like how do you create this really supportive team environment when you get there? Yeah. First of all, I think the best thing you can do when you transition from high school to college is buy-in. Whatever tradition, whatever crazy rituals or superstitions, like whatever it may be at your college, buy into it. The silly little chants that you guys will do, the fun little, we are, like it's, it seems cliche and kind of lame, but it's so important because it builds camaraderie. 
That's the dopest part about college. Like club and high school. At high school, it's just something that you do after school. And very few people have this like tight team bondedness. And club, maybe a little more. But I don't know. Maybe your outside hitter goes to... These are all Colorado schools. Maybe your outside hitter goes to Palmer. Maybe your opposite goes to Pine Creek. Maybe like you're all different in a way. And club is cool because you still have that kind of teamship. But college, college is where this is it. If you're at Penn State, you're at Penn State. If you're at Wisconsin, you're at Wisconsin. Florida, you're at Florida. And you can buy in. And buying into that university atmosphere, to that team atmosphere, goes such a long way. Because then you're united under this one goal of XYZ, whatever your goal may be. You have the opportunity to build something that you're going to hold on to forever, which is lasting relationships with your teammates. College is one of the purest examples of getting to have lifelong teammates, and it is so cool. And it's not something that everybody gets, because once you go and play pro overseas, it's the dynamic is, again, different. People are chasing paper. People are going after their money. People are trying to make their own national teams. There are different goals. But college, if you can buy in, oof. You have the opportunity to be a part of something really, really special. I think that's so great that you said that because I think in the moment, maybe you don't recognize it. And just even this morning or yesterday on ESPN, I heard Candace Parker talking about how her favorite moments were those moments from college and her favorite moments were those bus rides and the travel and being able to look back on somebody like Candace Parker too. I mean, here you are, gold medalist. Candace Parker is one of the best players in WNBA and talking about that college experience as such an incredible moment not to take advantage of. Yeah. And at the same time, I want to be very real here. There's a lot of stress, right? And a lot of pressure yeah. that oh, these student yeah. athletes go through. So let's talk about that because, you know, there's been some tragic events in the last couple of weeks. Katie Myers passing is one of them at Stanford soccer. And there's this incredible amount of stress to perform, to be doing well in your school. And what advice do you have to these student athletes today that they're trying to balance all these things and and they are competitive right because that's why they're in sport they're competitive and and so that competition tends to also go over to academics which is not a bad thing right but how do you make sure that you're in a good mind space while you're there and if you see your teammates struggling what should we do yeah Wow, a lot of big questions. First one to address. I think I'm like the lamest answer for this is obviously time management is going to be key. The best way to avoid the stress of living in both worlds of academic and athlete is time management is key. Have a planner, keep on top of your life. And that's a very small chunk all the way over here. So we're going to bigger picture now. I think the best thing that you can do, and this is something that I think I do a semi good job of, is you have to remember you're so much more than your sport. And you're so much more than a student. You are Haley Washington. You are Steph. You are, insert name here. And that, above the athlete, above the student, that is what's most important. And that's the impact. That's what people remember. People will tell me about my college career, and they'll be like, oh, remember that time you hit so-and-so? Remember that time you played this great game? But then there are those kids that are like, I remember coming to your game and you gave me a high five and it was the reason that I started playing volleyball. Or there's like a little six-year-old who has a ball and she was like, you signed my ball when I was six and now I'm starting middle school volleyball. I'm like, the person you are, that is what's so important to remember when you're in school because these are high-pressure situations and you'll fail. I went to Penn State after they had won four national championships and they had just won another fifth one in 2013 and we won one in 2014 and that was the last national championship I saw. And we failed, and we failed, and we failed. 
And we didn't win a Big Ten championship, I think, until my senior year. And even then, it was co-championships. So in Russ's eyes, fail, 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 fail. <laughs> like, you will fall short. You will feel terrible. You will find yourself in funks. You will find yourself maybe failing a test. You will find yourself... I mean, personally, you'll find yourself with mental health issues. You'll find yourself struggling with depression, with anxiety, with sports performance anxiety. But all that aside, you are who you are. And that is what makes you beautiful. Not that you got a full ride. Not that you're in contention to be a first-team All-American, whatever. Your pureness, yourself, is the best thing that you can bring to a team and the thing that makes you the most valuable. Which is hard to remember. When the going gets tough, it's hard to focus on that. But... I think that's the most important thing to focus on. That is what I wish all young women in our community would hear. Hmm. It's important. It's important to know because it's so easy to forget. It just hits really close to home for us because yeah. we're a community of high school and college athletes. And I think that message needs to be heard by everybody. I really appreciate the down to the little stuff, also to the big stuff. That is yeah. both are actually important. So just really well said. So you credited the Penn State women's volleyball coach, Russ Rose, for acclimating you to the grueling demands and expectations of competing on the international stage. And I just want to know, like, how did your coach do this? Because you then transitioned from college into pro-life, playing abroad. And that's not easy either. So how did he do this? How did he prepare you? And then how did you prepare yourself? Yeah, I think one, Russ just pounded his athletes into the ground. He worked them. He just, he worked them hard. He worked his Penn State athletes really, 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 really hard. And his practices were some of the most grueling that I've ever been through. So once you've been through hell, everything else is pretty much cakewalk. So I went overseas. I was like, oh, this is pretty easy. I had no classes. Practices are easier. So that was actually really nice. That really, really hard work really gave me an edge when coming over. Russ also pushed for independent athletes. He didn't want his athletes relying on the training room. He didn't want his athletes relying on all of this help and stuff. He wanted them to know how to properly deal with recovery, know how to properly fuel themselves. They were independent women, and he wanted them to be the independent female athletes that they were. And so that helped me be very independent when I came overseas, and maybe there weren't as many resources. So... Russ just kind of pushing us to be the best that we could be, I think, really helped me to be the independent person that I wanted to be when I was overseas. Not to mention, <laughs> he just works you hard. And so it got really easy to deal with everything else because you had just been through the grind. What would you say, like, now that you've moved from a Division One school where you have a sports psychologist, a nutritionist, a coach, a trainer, you do have a support system there you can lean on and set up time with, especially if you're struggling on some of these topics we mentioned. But what does that look like now for you that you're over in Italy? Is it the same setup? Like, how would you compare it? Yeah, I think most teams have a standard run-of-the-mill support staff setup. So they'll have a coach, they'll have an assistant coach. They'll have a strength trainer and they'll have an athletic trainer, uh, which are all pretty much pretty good. Some countries have more of an older approach to medicine and maybe not the same Western approach, like new age American kind of approach to medicine as we do in university. But you still have access to ice if you need it. You still sometimes you still have access to a weight room. Most of the times you'll have access to elastic bands. I think the best thing that you can do is figure out what works best for you 
and then how you can accommodate that kind of round peg into the square hole. Figure out what works for you and how you can adapt that to being overseas. It works really well. So for example, I know that stretching and rolling out works really well for me. So when I first went overseas, I went to a Home Depot and I got one of those like big PVC pipes and I cut off like a foot of it and I packed it and brought it with me as my roller. And so I just used that to roll out in case my gym didn't have a roller. Or like elastic stretching bands, I would buy those at like Decathlon or whatever. And so you figure out how to make it work. Thank you for listening to the Voice and Support podcast. My name is Zasha Bolhawk and I am the producer of this Voice and Support podcast episode. I run track and cross country at the University of Houston. I love working with Voice and Support in order to empower young girls and women in sports. And I would love it if you would join us in trying to make a change. Go follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Voice and Support for more amazing content. You can also sign up for free and join our community of female athletes at voiceandsport.com for mentorship, sports content, and inspiration. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the rest of this episode. Okay, well, you had a lot of immediate success, right, coming out of college. You won the Pan American Cup in 2018. So what really contributed to your success right out of college when you were there? I think the only really big thing was I love to learn. Like, I love learning, especially when it comes to volleyball, because I'm just so passionate about it, that I was hungry to continue to improve my game. And I remember that first summer being in the gym and everything I did was wrong. (laughs) I would, my read blocking was terrible. My slide footwork was slow. Everything that I did, I was wrong. And I would be coached and critiqued and be very uncomfortable trying these new things. And it would just feel wrong. But I wanted to learn. I was so hungry to learn and to be coached and to develop my game that I accepted that feeling of discomfort. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it this way and it's going to feel really, really weird, but it's going to get me to be the athlete that I want to be. And so when it came to read blocking, it's a skill I'm still terrible at, but like when it came to read blocking, I had to learn to sit still and to just read the setter and react. And so I had to learn that movement, that feeling, and I'm still struggling with it years later, but just being open to learning is huge. And I think that that's really what helped me with my success. Well, a lot of professional athletes have to go abroad to make a living. We've had professional volleyball Kelsey Robinson on the show. She lives in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. We also had Jalen. I just got off the phone with Elizabeth Williams yesterday, who's in Turkey. Is that a have-to-do situation because there isn't a league in the U.S. and you can't really make it work here? Whether it's there's a league like the WNBA, but it doesn't pay enough, or there isn't really a league on the volleyball side, and so you have to go overseas because that's where it is. So can you help us, especially these younger girls who are in college and they're graduating with their degrees and they're thinking, all right, am I going the career path or am I going the pro athlete path? And that likely means you're going overseas. So how did you think about that decision? Yeah, well, first of all, there is a league in America that started up last year, their first season. So there's AU Pro Volleyball, which is an interesting format to the volleyball world. It's not like a regular team where you're on a team and you play with that team for six months or so, six to eight months. There's constantly drawing of lots and changing of players, and it's a very independent athlete approach to the game of volleyball, which is really interesting. There's nothing like it out there in the world, so it's a very unique approach to the game of volleyball. There are discussions of other leagues starting up. There's said to be one launching in the next couple years that I personally am very excited for. I do play pro overseas because that is really all that's available right now, but if there was a league available in the States, I think that that would be 
very appealing because the comfort of being in America would be amazing for American athletes. But yes, usually there's a money influencer. You can make pretty decent money playing overseas. Plus it's an opportunity to live in Europe. Like, why wouldn't you give that a shot? It's hard. I'm not going to lie to you and tell these young athletes that are choosing career or going overseas. If you choose the overseas route, it's very difficult. You're away from home. There's a huge time change. You don't speak the language. There are no TV shows you recognize. You got to rely on Netflix. Nobody watches TV anymore anyway. That's not a good argument. But it's different and it's difficult. But it's an opportunity to do something new. Let's talk about the money for a second. So what is the range that girls could expect first year in pro volleyball in Europe? I think first year in pro volleyball, depending on who you are, and honestly, the range is huge. You can get anywhere from probably 10000 because if you graduate in December, you can go overseas for the last half of season, which is January through April-ish. And so when I went overseas for the first time, I made a little $10,000 contract because I had to get knee surgery, and so I wasn't going to be out there till March. And so I just got a little $10,000 contract for six weeks. But girls have signed for... 50,000, 75,000, they can get, there are some pretty lucrative contracts out there for that first season. So that's like your first halfway season. And then there's a range again of about, if you're signing a regular season, you can sign anywhere from 30,000 euros, US dollars, depending on what your agent gets you, to 100, $150,000. So there's a big range, but that's because there's leagues for every athlete. So Maybe you weren't the first team All-American outside hitter, but you still wanted to play. There are leagues for you in Italy, in Switzerland, in France, in Germany. There's opportunity for you to go make money playing volleyball in a foreign country, which is very cool. I think it's super helpful. Thanks for laying out the numbers because sometimes it's not easy to know these things, right? It's also not easy to know like, hey, I'm a college athlete right now. Should I go get an agent right now? So when did you get an agent and what was that experience like for you? Any advice you can pass back to the girls? Yeah, the agent world, I think, is one of the most difficult realms to break into because the agents, agents can be very particular. Most of the higher end agents usually look at the top athletes that are graduating that are like the all-American athletes. I remember my agent that I have now didn't even talk to me. He was too busy talking to one of my teammates. And I remember he messaged me on Facebook and I was like, first of all, how dare you? Like, if you wanted me to be your athlete, why didn't you come up and say hi? That's the least you could do. But I didn't take it personally. I recognized what he was going for. Agents usually will just reach out to you. You'll have a lot of independent agents that reach out and are interested in contacting you and wanting to work with you. And there are loads of agents out there. And there are loads of great American agents out there. And there are loads of great agents from Romania and Belgium and Germany. And they're all over the place. So I think you just have to wait for them to find you. And then there's also nothing wrong with asking a friend. Like I've had lots of my friends reach out and be like, hey, I need an agent. Could you talk to yours? And my agent knows an agent that knows an agent that can be that athlete's agent. So networking, reaching out, it never hurts to ask. Just go out and ask for some help. Let's say you do find one or two and you're interviewing them. What should you ask? You should ask how much they take out of your contract and if they get it directly from your money or if the club pays a fee. So, for example, my agent gets a fee off of however much money I make. So I make X number of dollars, he gets 10% of that money, but it doesn't come out of my paycheck. The club pays that. You should ask that because if you're making X number of dollars and your agent gets 30000 of that, that'd be crazy. That'd be $300,000 contract. But anyway, all this to say, ask where your agent's money is coming from. Two... Ask what markets your agent is looking at for you. If your agent is like, oh yeah, I'm looking at markets and these are your big three. In Italy, 
Turkey or Korea. Korea is tough though. But if you're looking at those three big markets, that's a pretty good agent. If he's really only finding you things in like Thailand or Indonesia or I don't know, Belarus, less of a good agent. Figure out what the good markets are for your sport and is your agent working in those markets? I think those are the big two things. And then ask, are there other athletes that work for him that you can reach out to, ask for advice, ask questions? The best advice I can have for you, whether you're transitioning from high school to college, college to pro, pro to national team, what ask billions of questions. It's okay to ask questions. It's good even. Learn the information, absorb it like the little sponges you are. Ask questions. <laughs> Love it. I think it's so important. And talk about money and get comfortable talking about money. Because, yes, okay. you know, you got to ask those questions. You got to talk about money and ask your friends about money too. I, I remember specifically the moment I started doing that in, at Nike as a female leader. And so I just said, you know what, I'm just going to start talking about my salary with my friends, with my peers and sharing what I'm making. What are you making? Okay, interesting. All right, let's work together to lift each other up. Yeah. That can be the same thing here for female athletes when you guys are thinking about your contract deals or what you're signing up for. Do not be afraid to talk about it with other athletes. Don't be afraid to talk about it and don't be afraid to ask for it. Ask for crazy amounts of money. I asked for a crazy amount of money last year and my club laughed at me. They're like, bah, ha, ha, we would never give you that money. But then they ended up giving me almost that amount of money because they ended up bartering for it. So Ask for crazy amounts of money. Have conversations. The more that you open up about it, the more that you're not only helping yourself, but you're helping other people. Like you're giving them the opportunity to know what their worth could be. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's talk about the Olympics because you were named to the 18-player roster, 18 for Team USA for the 2020 Olympic Games where you then won gold. And you were also named the best middle blocker of the Olympics. So that's an incredible accomplishment. So what was the Olympics like for you? <sighs> take me back. The Olympics was a dream. And all the like returning Olympians who had gone to Rio were talking about, oh, this Olympics is so much more tame because of COVID and we're not allowed to mingle and like the opening ceremonies were so quiet. And no diss on them. They have had two very different experiences. But for a young and naive, stars in her eyes athlete, the Olympics was beautiful despite the COVID rules. First of all, just being in the Olympic Village, I remember journaling about the spirit of excellence. You talk about that, and it's such a cliche in high school and college or whatever, but you are in this atmosphere, and yeah, there's this spirit of excellence, of these elite athletes that have worked years to get to where they are at, and you get to share that environment with them. That is so cool to me. It was just, it was an incredible company to be a part of. And honestly, being a part of that team was so awesome. We had girls that this was their third Olympics. We had girls that this was their first Olympics. We had just a great blend of women that were so freaking awesome and powerful and inspiring. And like, I got to go and play volleyball with them. The Olympics was one of the coolest things that I've ever been a part of. And I was just so blessed to have that privilege. Like, so did all of that joy basically wash out any sort of pressure or was it still stressful for you? And if so, how did you deal with that stress? Because you're walking on the court with the best in the world, playing the best, TV, eyes on you. My eyes were on you. <laughs> Honestly, I think the best way that we mitigated pressure was 
one, we had very low expectations. We had the highest of hopes going into that Olympics. Like our hopes were high, but our expectations were low. That's a phrase that our head coach, Karch Karai, likes to say a lot that I just love so much. Keep your expectations low, but your hopes high. And I just think it was, that was the way that we did it. And honestly, we took everything one game at a time. I remember talking to our assistant coach, Luca Slabe, when we had beat Argentina and we were moving on to our next match. And Luca was like, you don't win a gold medal with one win. You don't lose a gold medal with one win. Nothing is determined. You just got to go one game at a time. And so that's what I did, is I just took it moment by moment, piece by piece. And when I felt stressed, I would honor that stress. My favorite sentence of the Olympics was, oh, hello, anxiety. Thank you for coming. Nice to have you here. I'm just going to go play volleyball now. I would recognize that, and you say hi to it. I love that. Yeah, it is normal, and it's good to name it, actually. I, I love that you did that. I think that's actually a great skill and tool that the girls can use, so that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Just recognizing, oh, my nerves are here. Hello, nerves. Thank you for coming. I know you're just here to protect me from looking like an idiot. I appreciate you. I actually remember the moment that I was so excited for at the Olympics was I wanted to see the Olympic rings on the court. Like, I had this vision of the court being laid out, and in the corner before you serve, there would be like little Olympic rings. I would have a moment where I'd be back serving, and there were these little Olympic rings, and I would see that, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm here, I'm doing it. And I remember our first game against Argentina, I had rotated back to serve, and I'm on the service line, and at this particular venue, the Olympic rings were not these little rings in the corner, they were these big blown up rings lingering behind me (laughs) and I remember being like oh my gosh this is so much more than I ever thought and I just remember having a little freak out I recognized that my activation level was like at a billion and I was like okay we're gonna take three deep breaths we're gonna breathe what's my service okay I'm serving seam three I did my service routine took a breath brought me back in the moment and then I served the ball and I just remember in that moment of just like being so jazzed and freaked out. It was just so funny to me that I was expecting these tiny little rings and they were not. They were looming shadows behind me. <laughs> it was awesome. I love that. Okay, well, let's talk about that game prep mentality mm, space yeah. for a little bit more. You just walked us through how you go up to a serve, which I think is incredible. But do you have any other rituals or routines that you do every game time or in a match when something bad happens or, Mm. okay, walking into the game or even preparing for the game. Can you share some of those rituals that have really helped you get your mind right heading into the game? Yeah, I think one heading into the game, and this is a new ritual that I've recently developed. One, I'm not a big believer in superstitions. When I was at Penn State, because Russ was a big believer in superstitions, I was a big believer in superstitions. But they're just distractions, you guys. Like, if you have a superstition, no knock. I respect it. I'm like a practicing green witch, so I get the idea behind superstitions. I understand it. But they're probably going to end up being more distracting than they're going to be helpful, just in general. But before a game, I'm a big believer in music, and so usually by the time we're getting on the bus to go to the game, I would have some song stuck in my head and that would be my inspiration for music of the day. So sometimes it would be like hip hop and I'd listen to like six, seven, nine by Fetty Wap or sometimes I'd want something a little more old school and I'd listen to kiss by Prince. Sometimes things got dark and I was listening to like heavy screamo metal. I don't know. It was just whatever I was feeling that day. So music is a big part of my warm up, whatever that music may be. I also, I'm a pretty jazzy and bubbly person, but once I get on the bus and we're going into the locker room, I get pretty reserved. I get really internal. I 
keep my headphones on. They're noise canceling. I can't hear anything. I don't really talk to anyone. Maybe I smile and wave. Maybe I make a joke or two, but I'm pretty much locked in on getting to the locker room. Stuff goes on. Scouting report comes out. We review. We do our little team ritual before. Um, and then it's it's showtime. It's time to go out and start warming up. And then that's when I kind of become more like alive and bubbly and I come back out of my recluse. But usually before the game, I'm pretty pretty reserved. Which is funny because I used to be a big dancer. I'd be the one in the locker room goofing off and dancing and stuff. But I don't know. I'm aging and maturing now. So... Okay, well, it sounds like an incredible experience. So how do you think about continuing on your journey? Like, how do you, in terms of longevity in sport, I've talked to Kelsey Robinson about this because she's been doing it for quite a long time. And Mm -hmm. how do you stay motivated in sport, even after you accomplish maybe the biggest goal that you had? Oof. I'm glad we are having this conversation now because two months ago, I would not have an answer to this question. I'm going to be really honest and vulnerable here for this answer because when I came overseas, I was not motivated. I'm going to be honest. We did this gold medal thing, and I was an idiot and naive and stupid, and I got the best middle blocker. So I was like, okay, I'm pretty good at this game. We just got a gold medal at the Olympics. I got best middle blocker. I feel like I kind of understand it. Like I can kind of play volleyball. So I was like, so now what? Nobody talks about that. What do you do after the Olympics? You have reached this pinnacle, this thing that you have been dreaming of for so long. And honestly, I didn't even think I would ever get to that point. And then I did it and we did what we did. Now what? And so I came overseas and I went into one of the longest depressive funks I've been in in a while. And it got dark. I couldn't figure it out. I was just unmotivated. I was like, I don't want to play volleyball right now. I would like a break. I would like to recover and relish in this awesome thing that we did but I struggled to figure out what was motivating to me and it took a little bit of time and a lot of setbacks and a lot of nights where I was just wanting to go home and I just didn't want to be here and chewing on this idea of pursuing mastery because that was always my big motivator before the Olympics so I was like okay I know what I'm doing I'm pursuing mastery I want to be the best that I can be at this game because the pursuit of mastery is such an easy driver you want to learn you want to adapt you want to grow and then I thought that I had achieved this mastery when our team had done what we had done, <laughs> like an idiot. But what I've come to realize now, now that I've got my mental health together after some hard work there and after sitting with myself and journaling a lot and meditating a lot, I realized the pursuit of mastery isn't an A to B thing where you start your journey and then you hit mastery. That's really not how it works. And I wish this was something someone had told me when I started this endeavor. I wish they would have said this to me, but... The pursuit of mastery goes on for as long as you're pursuing. It's kind of like chasing light. Like if you were to shoot light out into the universe and continue to chase it, even if you are moving at the speed of light, you'll never reach the light because it's moving as fast as you are. That's what the pursuit of mastery is. And it's this ever going, twisting, turning pursuit. And I'm finally relishing in that beauty. And that no matter what I achieve or what successes or, frankly, failures I'll have, is that pursuit just keeps going and twisting and turning. And so that's what's keeping me motivated. It's like, I'm still pursuing, man. And I have the opportunity to do that. Oh, what a blessing. That's dope. To continue listening to this podcast, please go to voiceandsport.com and sign up for free. Haley goes on to talk about coming out as bisexual and how to be true to oneself. She also shares how we as athletes can learn to listen to our emotions and sit with them. Finally, Haley gives us three tools she uses to take care of her mental health. 
Head to minute number 42 to get started on voiceandsupport.com. This week's episode was produced and edited by Viz creator Zosha Bullhawk, a track and cross-country runner from the University of Houston. We are so grateful that Haley shared her story with us today. We're so excited to see the incredible things that she will achieve in sport and beyond. You can follow Haley on Instagram at Hales, H-A-L-E-S underscore storm. And please subscribe to the Voice and Sport podcast. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And send this episode to a friend that you think might enjoy our conversation. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice and Sport. And if you're interested in joining our community, sign up for free at voiceandsport.com to get started. When you join Voice and Sport, you gain access to our exclusive content and podcasts, mentorship sessions from professional athletes like Haley, and access to the top Viz experts in sports psychology and nutrition. See you next week on the Voice and Sport podcast.